Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, November 5th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. A deadly ambush in Mexico. At least nine family members, all women and children, allegedly massacred by a drug cartel in a horrific case of what authorities are calling mistaken identity. On Capitol Hill, Democratic lawmakers releasing transcripts of key witness testimony in response to GOP complaints as the investigation continues into President Donald Trump. And it's election day across the country. A number of key elections could prove telling about the president's prospects in 2020. A special report. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. An urgent manhunt it is underway after an American family was ambushed in Mexico. The family has American citizenship but lives in a ranch in the Mexican state of Sonora. The caravan of cars was headed to a wedding in nearby Chihuahua when the group was attacked, killing at least three women and six children. Claudia Zurita has the latest from Mexico. Nita and four of my grandchildren are burnt. At least six children and three women were brutally murdered on Monday morning in an ambush by criminal groups in a Mormon community at the border between the state of Sonora and Chihuahua. The victims were members of the Leveron family, all American citizens. Julian Leveron, who has been denouncing violence for almost a decade, is demanding justice. We have violence every day in our country, and uh, people get away with that because we, uh, we somehow... Uh, we kind of just put up with it as a people, and uh, that needs to stop. In 2009, one of the Leveron family was kidnapped and made a statement by refusing to pay the ransom. Eric Leveron was eventually set free and created a self-defense organization to protect their community from violence. Attacks in Aguaprieta, Sonora, weren't uncommon prior to Monday's morning's massacre, but it's still unknown if this attack is related to previous ones. Members of the Leveron family called on President Trump for help, and the president responded, tweeting that the United States is willing to get involved. Replying to President Trump's announcement, Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador said that Mexico will be willing to work with the United States government. I'll tell President Trump that all the cooperation that is necessary and thank him very much, seeing what way they can help but respecting our sovereignty. President López Obrador reiterated that despite recent violent events in the country, he won't change his strategy against organized crime. We think that violence, and I will say this again, can't be confronted with violence. Mexican Security Minister Alfonso Durazo says that there have been serious advances in investigations through local authorities and that attacks are related to cartel wars. Yes, there is a territory confrontation between criminal organizations. President López Obrador called for people not to rush into conclusions and said that absolutely no information will be hidden. In Mexico City, Claudia Zurita, U News. Now we go to Janet Rodriguez at the White House. Janet, how are U.S. officials responding today? 
Well, the president is expected to have a phone call with the president of Mexico. We know that because the president of Mexico in his press conference this morning said that the president of the U.S. was interested in talking to him via phone to see in which way he could help. That phone call, we understand. We just asked uh, officials here at the White House has not happened just yet. But President Trump has taken to tweet it to Twitter and he has tweeted the following. He said, if Mexico needs or requests help with clearing out these monsters, the U.S. stands by ready, willing, and able to do the job quickly and effectively. This is the time for Mexico with the help from the U.S. Uh, to wage war on the drug cartels and wipe them off the face of the earth. But we did hear President Manuel Lopez Obrador say that war is not an option. This is not an option they're willing to consider. And while he does thank the U.S. president for any help that he may be able to offer, he doesn't think that in this case any international foreign government should get involved. And this is a matter that they need to solve on their own. So we're waiting to see what that conversation will look like, knowing that many of the victims were U.S. citizens as well, and the FBI may be sent uh, some agents to Mexico to be able to help. We have also heard from some, some U.S. Senate members, especially Mitt Romney, who is a member of the of the um, Mormon community, uh, basically lamenting the death of this family and uh, just sending them their well wishes. Lorraine? Thank you, Janet. We'll be watching the developments of this story very closely from Washington, D.C. Now turning to politics, new developments in the impeachment inquiry, newly released transcripts of the testimonies given by key witnesses are offering more details on the behind the scenes events that led to this investigation. On Monday, the impeachment inquiry taking a new turn. The House Intelligence Committee releasing the transcript of the testimony given by Marie Yovanovitch, former ambassador to the Ukraine, and Michael McKinley, a former senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, both giving lawmakers explosive details. Yovanovitch said that late last year she learned from Ukrainian officials about a concrete campaign that Giuliani and a former prosecutor had plans and that they were going to, you know, do things, including to me, a senior Ukrainian official warning her to watch her back. That smear campaign uh, orchestrated by this irregular channel was successful in removing a U.S. ambassador uh, and tarring her reputation. During the call with the Ukraine leader, President Trump called Yovanovitch bad news and said she was going to go through some things. Yovanovitch telling lawmakers she was shocked and felt threatened. But the president on Monday trying to distance himself. I'm sure she's a very fine woman. I just don't know much about her. Yovanovitch alleges that after repeated attacks from people close to the president, like his son Don Jr. and Giuliani, she asked Gordon Sondland for advice. He is the EU ambassador and the president's point person for Ukraine matters. He told her, you need to go big or go home. Tweet out there that you support the president and all these are lies and everything else. Yovanovitch refused. She was removed from her post abruptly earlier this year, getting a call in the middle of the night instructing her to go home on the next flight. The President of the United States, first of all, can have whoever he or she thinks is 
going to serve the interests of our country as, as an ambassador to whatever country. Michael McKinley, who resigned from his post in protest, told lawmakers that the State Department failed to defend Yovanovitch from her removal. And he was disturbed by the implication that foreign governments were being approached to procure negative information on political opponents. He told investigators he went to his superior, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, three times, but Pompeo never responded. So you were never asked to not, put out not, a... not once. Not once, George, did Ambassador McKinley say something to me during that entire time period. President, meanwhile, during a rally in Kentucky, continuing his calls for the whistleblower to testify. And you haven't heard about the whistleblower after that, have you? Because the whistleblower said lots of things that weren't so good, folks. You're going to find out. But these are very dishonest people. Shifty shift. And it looks like House impeachment investigators will be calling in acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney to testify as early as this week. He is part of a growing list. Two White House officials scheduled to testify today are not expected to appear. Since last week, many witnesses have refused to comply with congressional requests to testify. The Justice Department now saying Congress can force officials from the executive branch to testify about matters that might involve protected information without government lawyers present. Meanwhile, jury selection gets underway today in the criminal trial of longtime political operative Roger Stone. The former consultant to President Donald Trump is facing federal charges of witness tampering and lying to Congress as part of Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. He has pleaded not guilty, but he faces as much as 20 years in prison. And after being booed at a few sports events he attended, first in Washington during a Nationals World Series game, and then this past weekend at an Ultimate Fighting Championship in New York City, President Donald Trump is expected to attend Saturday's college football match between the two highest-ranked teams in the nation, Louisiana State University and the University of Alabama. Attorneys with the Southern Poverty Law Center filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration for denying parole to hundreds of asylum seekers languishing in immigration detention centers. Most of those centers are located in southern states like Louisiana. One of the attorneys, Mish Gonzalez, joins me now. Mish, first of all, can you give us some background information? What is the normal process for an asylum seeker arriving in the U.S.? And why are authorities dragging their feet in this case? Traditionally, um, an asylum seeker would present themselves at a port of entry, whether that's at the border or at an airport, say, I, I'm requesting asylum and pursuing their legal right, and then they would be processed through, given a credible fear interview. If they're found to have a credible fear, they would be given the opportunity to apply for release on humanitarian uh, grounds, parole. Um, they are not given the right to a bond. It, when an asylum seeker presents themselves at a port of entry, the legal fiction is that they're not technically in the United States, and so certain rights don't attach, and that, including that right to a bond. Certain jurisdictions have expanded on that, but that's what makes this so particularly cruel, that the government is dragging its feet. Um, we specifically are targeting the New Orleans field office. Uh, they are. They have uh, dropped their grants from twenty. From twenty sixteen, they granted seventy six percent of applications. They've dropped it to almost zero. Uh, we're seeing less than one percent um, or bl blanket denial of all parole requests. And we're talking about 
well over 8,000 people that are detained in this region. And Mish, can you describe who are some of the immigrants filing this lawsuit? Tell us about what they've been going through. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they are held indefinitely, again, without access to parole. They can fight their case. They can last eight months, well over a year. Uh, we, you know, there are people from all over. Um, I would note they're primarily not uh, European folks that end up trapped in the system. It's essentially black and brown people, whether they're from South Asia, the Caribbean, uh, Africa, uh, all over Latin America. We also have seen a huge influx of Cuban uh, asylum seekers who have been denied their usual access to automatically be granted parole, as well as the denial of humanitarian parole as asylum seekers. Um, and there are hundreds of them uh, with valid political opinion claims, LGBT claims. We recently saw the tragic deportation of a doctor who had refused to comply with government orders that would violate his oath as a doctor. Um, people who were fighting to treat people who were political dissidents that the government would have preferred let them die. Um, and this man endured 13 months in detention in a in a torturous uh, various torturous detention centers that are essentially jails in Louisiana where they are subjecting protesters peaceful protesters to solitary confinement to beatings tear gas rubber bullets um, and again just the torture of prolonged incarceration when you're just pursuing your legal right to uh, file for asylum separated from all your loved ones including many family members that are here legally residing in the United States yes that's a sad situation mission are most of these detention centers privately run and if so why yes absolutely um, so there are groups like core civic and geo group um, in you know America, but they're the same private prison companies. Um, it's no coincidence that Louisiana is having this influx of thousands of beds, again, well over 8,000 at this time, contracting with ICE. Essentially, their prison uh, bed numbers dropped, and so that left a huge business open for these private prisons. Who are we going to ICE? Um, at the end of the day, that's what Essentially, mass incarceration, which was intentionally created after the end of slavery, Louisiana was a huge slave state. That was a huge economic boon. That's where mass incarceration was born. That's why the U.S. is the mass incarceration capital of the world. And Louisiana has often been called the capital of the U.S. So it's no coincidence that these private companies are making millions of dollars um, through this scheme. Well, thank you so much, Attorney Mish Gonzalez, for helping us understand the situation. Absolutely. It, <clears throat> thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Moving on, in Texas, a Venezuelan teenager was attacked. She says just because she was speaking Spanish at school. And so far, as Pedro Rojas reports, the family is not happy with how local school district officials have responded. I was scared. Her name is Michelle Carvajal, and on October 18th, she was a victim of a physical attack while riding on a school bus in Katy, Texas. The reason for the attack allegedly was because she was speaking in Spanish with other classmates. The entire event was recorded on a cell phone, and now the life of Michelle and her Venezuelan family who came to the United States seeking asylum has changed. I'm coming from a, from a country, like, actually uh, asking for help, and this happened to me here, like, I'm, I wasn't waiting for that. Michelle tells us that everything started days before, 
when the other student only described as an African-American female, it started to verbally criticize Michelle and her friends for speaking in Spanish. The day of the incident, the same student threw a pencil at Michelle's face, and after hitting another student who was defending her, Michelle responded verbally. That is when the argument turned physical. That's when I told her, what is wrong with you? You don't have to be rude. Just because we're Latinos, it doesn't mean we, doesn't, we don't have the same rights as you. We do have the same rights as you. We're human, we, we, ha we have rights. Um, and that's when she, she ran to me and she started hitting me. A spokesperson from Katie Independent School District told you news. The district is aware of the report concerning an allegation of an assault on a Katie ISD school bus. Katie ISD campus administration and police immediately investigated and administered disciplinary consequences pertaining to the report. Due to regulation, authorities cannot release the name of the student attacker, but they assure us that she has been sanctioned according to policies and procedures of the school district. Nardi Rojas is Michelle's mom. She told us that because her daughter did not suffer cuts or broken bones, the district attorney refused to pursue criminal charges and the student attacker was relocated for 75 days to another school. But eventually, she will return to Katy High School, where Michelle continues to go to class. I don't want to get to that moment, because we don't know how the other girl is going to react. We really don't know, she says. I always think about that, what's going to happen when she comes back. Michelle also told us that the school faculty has advised her to remain in groups while at school to avoid confrontation with friends of the student attacker. In Katy, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. More than 400 inmates in, in Oklahoma are now free in a historic move. The state performed the largest ever day of commutations. The move is part of Oklahoma's criminal justice reform efforts. On Friday, the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board granted commutation to a total of 527 inmates. The inmates being released were doing time for nonviolent crimes, including drug possession and lower level property crime. The move is estimated to save Oklahoma taxpayers nearly $12 million. In Chile, protesters clashed with police on the streets of Santiago again on Monday. The ongoing riots in the country have resulted in at least 18 dead and 7,000 arrests. Chilean businesses, meanwhile, have lost more than $1.4 billion, while the city's metro suffered nearly $400 million in damages. Frustrations over the high cost of living in Santiago have become a political flashpoint and have prompted calls for reforms on everything from the country's tax and labor courts, codes to pension system. A judge has ordered 14 prominent lawyers in Peru to be jailed while prosecutors investigate the role each played in the sweeping Odebrecht corruption case. The order is the most recent development in the scandal involving the Brazilian construction heavyweight, which has admitted to funneling money to politicians around Latin America in the exchange for public works contracts. In Brazil, firefighters continue to battle fires in the Pantanal region where more than 120,000 acres have burned since massive blades broke out on October 26. High temperatures and low humidity have worsened the situation in the biodiverse region located in the southwest part of the country. There were 393 fires reported in the region the first three days of November.
And Brazil's government said that it had contacted Interpol over the flow of mysterious crude oil hitting the country's northeastern beaches, adding that the cost of the disaster could reach into the billions. Since September, beaches in Brazil's northeast have been hit by oil. The state-run oil company and Brazilian authorities say they have no doubt that the oil is Venezuelan, but investigations into the origins are ongoing. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And there is a new study about screen use and brain development in young children. Annabel Sedano has the details in today's tech report. Hi there, that's right, and we begin with this. A new study indicates that screen usage, including televisions, can have a significant impact on brain development in young children. The study looked at three to five-year-olds who use those screens for more than one hour a day. Through MRIs, they found that those children had lower levels of development in the brain white matter, an area key to the development of language, literacy, and cognitive skills. And the University of Wisconsin-Madison is set to be launching a new food delivery service for its students using about 30 autonomous robots. The service will cost about two bucks per delivery and students will be able to pay through their student meal card. They'll order what they want from an app and drop a pin where they want it delivered. Cool, fancy. And finally, Uber's Jump subsidiary has until Friday to respond to a suspension by the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, or it will have to leave the city. The department temporarily suspended Uber from dispersing Jump e-bicycles after the company refused to provide the city with real-time data on its riderships. I'm Annabelle Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.